Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Father, because you love us so much, now I can stand confident as a child of God because I am blameless. God, it just blows my mind how when you look at me, you don't see a sinner. You see a saint who sins. <laughs> God, I know my own heart, and I know in my daily thoughts that the blood of Jesus would cover that. Father, I pray for every person in this room that they would know freedom in the name of Jesus today. That there is no shame that there is no guilt. God, that Satan's lies to us this morning are null and void because Jesus paid the price for all of that on the cross. Man, to be able to say that I am blameless, there's nothing in this world that should give me more confidence than the fact that before God Almighty, I stand blameless. Lord, I pray that you would comfort hurting hearts this morning. I pray that you would meet us where we're at because you're powerful enough to do that. Every single individual in the room, God, you meet us where we are at. No matter what we carry this morning, when we worship you, it puts everything into perspective that we can think about what is right about you, God, and your holiness and your love for us in the midst of whatever is going on in my life. And so, God, you are my shepherd. I don't need anything else. That's it. That's all I need is you. So I pray that you would be that this morning, God, for people in the room who don't know you, who don't have a relationship with you. Jesus, today is the day. Today is the day that they come to you. I pray that, God. I beg that. Because the abundant life is only found in Jesus. We need you and we love you. And all his people said, amen. You can have a seat. I'm going to bring uh, Vance Hahn up here. And he is going to make a quick announcement. He's a little less gracious than me if you don't pay attention. So pay attention. Good morning, everyone. Uh, we're going to have an event at the church. Uh, actually, it's a month from today. Uh, Pastor Greg Laurie every year has a Harvest Crusade event he holds in a the stadium. This year it's going to be in the AT&T Stadium in Dallas, Texas. Uh, this is something he's been doing for many years and won thousands and thousands of people to Christ with his event. Uh, this We are going to broadcast this event, simulcast this event in the church here. Uh, it's a chance for us to reach out to our neighbors here in Urbandale 
and we're going to have there's going to be opportunities in a couple weeks we'll have brochures you can hand out to friends relatives neighbors co-workers to share this event with them uh, we'll need a little help handing out door hangers stuff like that but the main thing I'd like to ask from you for the next couple weeks is be praying for this event that it's mm -hmm. we get a big crowd here and that people are one for Jesus thank you Vance you seem so excited about that he really is excited about it we've had countless conversations about it the last few weeks and it's a really good chance to occupy our street as a church right Occupy your street. I'm going to say it every single time I get up here this year, hopefully. If I don't, if I get halfway through a message and I haven't said Occupy Your Street yet, just scream it at me, okay? Just say, you forgot or something. Um, what does that mean to occupy your street? What's your street? My street is not the same as your street. Your street's not the same as mine, so don't covet mine. I won't covet yours, hopefully. Um, it's where you live. It involves the street that you live on, but it's where you work. It's where you work out, hopefully. Uh, you're working out. I'm just kidding. Um, and it is where you frequent. Anywhere you go on a regular basis, a regular daily, weekly, monthly basis. Okay, do you go get your hair cut? Do you go eat? If you go to a bar regularly, I don't know what it may be, but it's wherever you are on a regular basis, that's your street. Occupy it with the gospel. Occupy it with the name of Jesus and with the love of Jesus. But here's the thing, that I am quickly learning that occupying your street does not happen overnight. Occupying your street takes work. It takes perseverance because when Satan realizes that you're on a mission on a certain part in a certain area of your life, he immediately goes on the move to stop you, right? That's why a lot of times when you're doing something good for the Lord, you also feel most attacked, right? You say, I feel attacked this week. Well, maybe you're doing something right, right? Don't stop. Keep on going. Persevere. To occupy your street, it takes intentionality and perseverance. It's not going to happen right now. So here's what you do. Every single day, you pray for your street. You name it out loud, right? Like where I get my hair cut. I went in and got a haircut this last week, and I walked in, and I said, Lord, this is my street. This is my street. Help me to occupy this street. So I walked in. I sat down. Had a great conversation with the woman. Um, continued a relationship with her. And I, I pray that that relationship continues so that someday uh, she's going to be brought to Jesus. Right? Stay with it. What does it look like to pray for your street? Jesus took time every single day to get away from the distractions around him, right? There's a reason that he says specifically, don't go out in the public squares and start praying and look all holy and more righteous than thou and all that stuff. He says, go in your quiet place. Go where there are no distractions. Go in the inner room of your house where there are no distractions, where you can be. Um, the inner room of my house, <coughs> I'm not going to tell you where that is. <laughs> just kidding. It's the bathroom. Um, but a lot of good stuff happens for the kingdom of God in the bathroom. Um, anyway, go there and pray for your street. We need to, in our, in our pursuit of occupying our streets, we really need to encourage each other. Like as I'm trying to occupy my street and I get discouraged, I need to hear from you guys what God is doing 
on your streets. So what we did was we, uh, we created a, and I'll email this out later, but you can text it to yourself, text it to your wife, whatever. But we created an email um, where we want you to start sending us stories about what God is doing on your street. So the email is called, I forgot to make a slide about this, but the email is called stories from my street at creeksidedm.com. Okay? So that's the only reason you're allowed to be distracted right now is if you're sending me a story at stories from my street at creeksidedm.com. Um, please start sharing your stories there because we'll use them anonymously unless you tell us to use your name. Um, but we're going we're gonna to start being encouraged by those things. I want to show you a picture right now, um, the picture of our church on Tuesday night. That is 320 people in this building. That was caucus night, all right? 320 people in this building. But when I look at that picture, I see the future of Sunday morning here at Creekside, right? 320 people, that entire room in the back, packed full of people. Maybe even for two services, three services, I don't know. But that's our mission, right? Take a good look at it. Take a good look at that and then take a good look at the empty seat next to you. Occupy your street. That's the mission. One of the um, band members this week sent me a prayer that she has been praying over our church. And so right now, I want everyone to close your eyes, and I'm going to pray this prayer over our church. And I don't want you just to close your eyes and, and listen to this as a, as a normal prayer, because we pray all the time in church. But I really want you to let these words soak in and give you confidence to go occupy your street. So let's pray. Father, I beg that you would let us be bold and unafraid. Let us love with reckless abandon like Jesus did, and let us occupy our streets, tirelessly working to share the gospel with others, trusting that God can use us even in our fear, even in our weakness, even in our insecurity. Let people, our friends, our neighbors, our families, everyone we know, come to know the glory of Jesus and receive salvation. Amen. I love that. Love it. Last week, Kyle started us off in our Psalm series. And the book of Psalms is a book of prayer, right? But Psalm 1 is all about meditation, right? But here's the deal. Meditating on Scripture should be the thing that fuels our prayer life. The mark of a real man or a woman of God is that they meditate on Scripture, that they let God's truth, they let God's words infiltrate their heart to the point where there's no option but to let it come out, right? You feed yourself enough with the Word of God and it will change your life. But here's the thing, we know that no amount of reading the Bible without living it out is worth anything, right? I mean, I think probably most of you can think of somebody who's super smart in the Bible but is not living it out. Right? What does that do to you? It doesn't do much for you. It doesn't make reading the Bible very attractive, does it? But when you see somebody who absolutely loves the Word of God and it just flows out of them, and they just love everything about the Word and it's proof by the way that they live their life. That's what happens when you cross the line from just reading Scripture 
to meditating on it. It will change you. I mean, the Bible itself says that it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to, able to pierce to the point between bone and marrow. Which is, what does that mean? It says that every single person in this room, the Bible, the Word of God, can speak to your situation right now. Like, do we really believe that God meets us where we're at? I mean, you're here this morning in the Holy Spirit is going to meet you where you're at as long as you allow him to. It's the same thing when we pick up the word of God, hopefully on a regular basis. I'd encourage you every time you pick up God's word to ask God through the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what he wants you to know and to live it out, to give you the strength and the power to live it out because it will change your life. So today we're going to continue in our psalm series in Psalm 23, and our title is going to be, Our God, Who is Our Shepherd. You already heard it read in that last song. I'm going to read it to you now in the message version. The message is kind of a paraphrase of the Bible. I think it's pretty fun to read. Um, I just want you to close your eyes. I don't want you to follow along. I just want you to close your eyes and listen to this and think about God as your shepherd what this means to you this morning. God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You have bedded me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. Even when the way goes through Death Valley, I'm not afraid when you walk at my side. Your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. We sing the song, Good, Good Father, a lot here. It says, you're a good, good father. It's who you are, and I am loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. We sing that because we have to continually be reminded of who we are in Jesus. If we're not regularly, continually reminded that when we come to Jesus, we are made children of God, when we turn to him, then one of the most effective weapons of Satan is to mess with our identity. He will start to lie to you like nothing else about your identity. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Until you have no choice to ask, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Because I'm confused about life right now because nothing makes sense. Because everything hurts. Who am I? When we are convinced of how God feels about us, then we will be safe. We will be secure. And we will be without Fear in his loving arms. I mean, imagine a life without fear. Not because I'm awesome. Not because I'm macho. But because I know who I am in Jesus. 
Imagine a confidence in my Savior so big that I actually obey what he said. He said so many times in the New Testament, do not be afraid. Why? How can I not be afraid? Because I belong to Jesus, and he is my confidence. But when we forget about how God feels about us, we begin to doubt, we begin to believe Satan's lies about who we are to God, what happens? We become crippled. We can't move. We can't act. We sit in our shame. We sit in our guilt. We feel worthless. That's not what Jesus died for. All of that was paid for on the cross. All of that was paid for on the cross. So today, like we think about God being a good, good father, I know that not everybody on earth has a great father. So for some people in the room, it's hard to think about God as a good, good father. Right? So we're going to think about him as a shepherd. I also know that a lot of us have not been shepherds before and have not spent a lot of time around shepherds. And when you hear things like, your trusty shepherd's crook keeps me safe, it doesn't mean much to us. Right? I mean, it, I, when I think of a crook, um, like, I, I fear it. Like, you could beat somebody with that, right? But that's not how Jesus uses it. It's not how God uses it. So we're going to talk about that today. So open your Bibles to Psalm 23. If you haven't yet, it's going to be on the screen as well. But the big thing I want you to remember, text this to the person next to you, or text it to your spouse, or text it to yourself, whatever you have to do to remember this. Here's the big thing. A shepherd never, big capital letters when you're writing this down, big capital letters, never abandons his sheep. A shepherd never abandons his sheep. Somebody in the room needed to hear that. But here's the truth. Even if life is good for you right now, Jesus promised, I mean, he said this, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The truth is, as we follow Jesus, it's not going to be easy. And if you didn't need to hear that right now, that your shepherd will never, ever abandon you, you're going to need to hear it at some point in your life, and you're going to need to believe that. When you're in the lowest of lows, when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you're going to need to know that your shepherd will never, ever abandon you. That's what a shepherd does. He protects. He overcomes adversity for his sheep. The shepherd, the sheep only need, and this is awesome, because <laughs> I don't have to do anything, right? All I need to do as a sheep is sit in restful peace under his protection. I mean, isn't that freeing? Like, stop trying so hard. <laughs> stop working so hard to protect yourself. Sit in restful peace under the protection of your good shepherd. I want to read um, this week, I sent out to get some reflections from the band. I needed some help to write this message, right? You're like, yeah, you usually do. Um, I needed some help writing this message, so the band sent me some thoughts 
on this passage. I just want these to soak in and bless you this morning. One person said, the Lord is our shepherd. We lack nothing with him. He alone is really enough. He gives us so many good things and teaches us throughout. Even when things aren't good but hard, we not only have nothing to fear, but he also comforts us. I also like what the message version says in part of the verses of 5 and 6. You revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. How kind and awesome God really is. Another person said, The 23rd Psalm was the first sizable chunk of Scripture I memorized after getting saved at age 7 and 8. I can't imagine memorizing anything at the age of 7 and 8. I don't, I don't do very well memorizing anything now, but at the age of seven and eight. But back then, it was a comfort to know that God was with me through the valley of the shadow of death, whatever that was to me as a kid. As I get older, I was more in tune with what it means to be a shepherd. During my first mission trip to Emmanuel Mission in Arizona about 12 years ago, we herded sheep with the Navajo family which was an interesting experience. Really, there isn't much to it. You walk behind the animals and basically chase them where you want them to go. You are constantly looking at their butts. And that's not unlike we like sheep who have gone astray, as it says in Isaiah 53, 6. We're bent toward moving away from the shepherd who relentlessly pursues us in guiding us. Hopefully we come around and start following his voice, which is a great place to be. But I'm inclined to think of my stubbornness with this psalm and also God's patience with me as he walks with me. Somebody else said, our shepherd can be trusted, not just when we get the good stuff of green pastures in abundance and still waters of satisfaction and fulfillment. Just as important, he can be trusted When the enemy of our souls, the world and the devil, stomp on us and kick us when we're down. Even death itself can be faced with quiet confidence because Jesus is our good shepherd who will be with us no matter what. Another said, as I've seen, as I've been reading through this and thinking on it, one phrase always jumps out to me. He refreshes my soul. Only he can truly bring peace to my soul. Only he can take me from a place of feeling awful, lost, and lonely to a place where I feel taken care of as only my father can. The really cool thing about this is one of the places I feel he refreshes me, my soul, the most is when I'm singing praises on Sunday morning with all of you. I could be in the middle of the biggest storm of my life, and when I come into his presence here on a Sunday morning and start praising my Savior, I feel refreshed and at peace again. That's like a good prayer. That's a good prayer for ourselves when we come to church. And lastly, somebody said, what I am most struck by when reading this is how small I am. I'm like a sheep. I need to be led and cared for. God is so much bigger than I can even comprehend and capable of more than I can imagine. Something I am personally convicted about is holding on to fear. 
God is with me, leading me, guiding me. Why should I be afraid? Instead, I should trust him as my loving master and allow him to guide my thoughts and actions no matter the circumstance. That's good preaching right there. And I could say that because it wasn't my words, right? I love that. A shepherd never abandons his sheep. I want to share four ways with you that Psalm 23 proves that that's true. Number one is a shepherd provides for his sheep. Number two, a shepherd sets loving boundaries for his sheep. Number three, a shepherd comforts his sheep. And number four, a shepherd gives confidence to his sheep. A shepherd never abandons his sheep. One, he provides. Verse 1 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But here's the question, how many times this week have I gotten to the point where I worry about whatever it may be? Like, ask yourself that question. How many times this week did you worry about something that was completely out of your control? How many times this week did you covet something that you don't have yet? How many times this week did you really, really worry that how is that bill going to get paid? How am I going to do this? How is this going to happen? How is God going to pull this off? How many times did I worry this week? How often am I really content with what God has already provided for me? One of the things that as a parent I feel like a biggest failure in, like when this happens in my household, um, it just makes me like, what have I done? I have created a monster, right? When any time we're sitting at the table and Heather uh, has worked hard at making dinner and our kids, we've let them, okay, so they come home. I want to play with my friends. I want to play with my friends. So we let them go play with their friends. Boom. Awesome. We let them have fun, essentially, as soon as they get home from school, right? They come home. Um, we've done nothing but love on them so far. And they get home, they sit down and be like, this is gross. I don't want to eat this. What did you just say? Be like, let's try again. Go back outside. Roll around in the snow a little bit. Come back inside and try that again. Right? Or it's like, so-and-so has this. So-and-so got 15 minutes longer than me on screen time this week. Right? What? Screen time I didn't, when we were growing up, screen time was like black and white TV. I am that old. I'm only 32, but I remember black and white TV, okay? Some of you don't think I do, but I do, all right? We had the dial. The, the, we didn't even have a remote. We had the dial on my TV where you had to like turn it and it clicked. And some, it just, it was awesome. It was awesome. I think we should go back to that. But sometimes, it's like, why can't you just be thankful for what God has given you, right? It's like I'm talking to an atheist. Eight-year-old here, right? Why can't you just be thankful for what God has given you? Because if you don't shape up, I'm going to ship you off to a third-world country. You're on the next plane, and I'm going to see if you're going to learn something about being grateful, right? I mean, you've been there if you're a parent, right? But then I realize I'm talking to an eight-year-old, and he's in the process of learning this. But seriously, how often is that true in my life, right? How often does my worry or my discontent or my covetousness or whatever it may be come from the fact that I don't actually trust God to provide everything that I need like he promised he would, right? I mean, this happens weekly for me. 
The hard truth is, is anything that I put my trust in that leads to worry outside of Jesus himself is idolatry. That's idol worship. That's what idolatry means. It means I am putting something else in my life as more important than my trust in my Savior. That's idolatry, and that's what that first verse means. He is my shepherd. Do I trust him? I don't need a thing. Like, I shall not want. I don't want anything because I have it all, right? Philippians 4, 12 through 13, Paul says this. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And here it is. Here's the secret. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've tried to use that verse during Pharaoh's when I'm about to die. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hit the bag again. Punch Javier in the face. Come on. Picture his face on the bag. I just say that because he's here. I'm not going to point him out. But <clears throat> Anyway. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What does that mean? It means I don't need anything else. All I need is Jesus to give me strength on a daily basis, and I'm good. I'm good. Not fine, because we don't use that word here, right? Freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. Nobody's fine, all right? Or most of us are fine, actually, all right? A shepherd never abandons his sheep. Number two, he sets loving boundaries. Verse 2 through 4 says this, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. As a parent, this is a little bit more real for me now, but I remember growing up um, and my disagreements with my parents' boundaries for me didn't always end up so good for me. Um, because I often lost those uh, situations. I know it's hard to believe I wasn't the perfect child, um, but I wasn't. I fought with my mom a lot about the boundaries she had set for me. Uh, but now that I am a dad, I've had to apologize to my parents a lot. Like, shoot, I was wrong. I was wrong about that, and I was wrong about that. But it is amazing to me how much love for a child you have to have to set loving boundaries for them. You know what I mean? Wouldn't it be just be easier to let them have what they want? Be like, I don't want to argue about this again. Just shut up. You can have it. Right? Wouldn't that be easier? It would be. All you parents should be agreeing with me right now. Or let, uh, you're, I, All right, I guess there's something wrong with me. It would be easier just to give them what they want and not argue. It takes an immense amount of love to set boundaries. It takes an immense amount of love to say, you can't eat this, eat this. It takes an immense amount of love to say, you can't watch that. To say, you have to rest now. It's rest time. To say, you can't play now. You have to do your homework. To say, it would be easier just to let it all go. But I love my kids more than that, right? And God loves us so much more than that. He wants us to be healthy. He wants us to rest on a regular basis, spiritually and physically. He, it says he makes 
me lie down in green pastures. He leads me. He restores me. He loves me enough to make me do these things. Even when I push against him. Right? Because in my experience, not many of us rest well. Not many of us allow God to renew and to restore and to give us rest. That's a hard thing to do because at our core, at our nature, we want to be self-sufficient. But here's the truth about everyone who was ever born. You are broken. It's the truth. And you cannot be healed until you allow God to do the healing. It's impossible. But there is a crazy, immense amount of freedom and strength and confidence that comes from allowing Jesus to heal you. Even if you've been a Christian for a long time, daily you need Jesus. You need to be reminded that he is your healer. That's what a shepherd does. A shepherd never abandons his sheep. Next, he comforts me. He protects me. Verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's like the worst place you can be. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. John 16, says this. This is where Jesus said, I have told you these things, that in me you may have peace. And then he says, because in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. When you face trouble, like this isn't just, the word trouble here does not mean like your dog died, right? It doesn't mean you have a cold. It, it means you are going to face at some point in your life earth-shattering trouble that you cannot possibly overcome by yourself, Earth-shattering trouble that puts you in the valley of the shadow of death, where there is no hope, where you can't see a way out. That is where Jesus meets us. Who do you look for, to for help when you're there? Like, what's your first reaction to being in the valley of the shadow of death? Claw your way out or cry out to Jesus? The only other option to overcome things is on my own, and that is just exhausting, and it's just impossible. Because this is what Jesus says. He says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Not you. Like, we cannot overcome this world. We cannot overcome Satan's lies. We cannot overcome the temptations to sin. We cannot simply crawl out of the pit that we're in when a tragedy happens in our life, when a loved one dies, when we lose our job. When a relationship with one of our kids is broken, we don't just climb out of that on our own. The only good, comforting, safe, secure way out of that pit is to cry out to Jesus. He alone 
Some of you refuse to believe this. Because you're working too hard. Stop working so hard. Because he alone has overcome the world. He has overcome your trials for you, your trouble. He literally defeated death itself when he rose from the grave. I mean, for me, that's like, that's all I need to know. Like, he defeated death so that I could live? Boom! That's it. Here comes the boom. Sorry. Just love that movie. You should watch it if you haven't yet. But seriously, that's what a shepherd does. A shepherd never abandons his sheep. Lastly, he gives us confidence. This is my favorite part. This part rocks my world. It all does, but this is my favorite part. Verse 5 and 6 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word table there means, it says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. The, the word table there literally means spread. You prepare a spread for me in the table of my enemies. Like I think about the party, the, the Super Bowl party I'm going to go to tonight and watch all the commercials and eat during the game, right? That's what we're going to do. Um, I think about that and all the good food that's going to be there. That's what I'm talking about. This is not just like he prepares um, a little meal for me to eat, right? It's saying all of the provisions that God has ever provided you with, that you could ever need, that you could ever want, it's all right there on the table before you, right? I love that. Here, here's, here's, remember this, Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly realms. Who is our enemy? Right? He prepares a table, a spread of all the provisions I could possibly want or possibly need. Everything provided for me in the presence of who? You're not my enemy. People are not your enemy. Satan alone is your enemy. Right? <laughs> that rocks my world because I'm sitting here with everything I could possibly need given to me by God in heaven, the most powerful being in the universe, and Satan is sitting, sitting there watching as I am provided for by things that he could never give me. What does the Bible say that Satan is? He's the father of all lies. He prowls around like a lion seeking someone to devour. God is our shepherd. So picture this. How has Satan lied to you in the past week? What are you still believing about yourself that just isn't true? Where is Satan tempting you to sin right now in your life? He wants to destroy you. He wants your heart. He wants your soul. And he will not stop at anything to have it. That is our enemy. He is ruthless, and he has demons everywhere, and we could not possibly stand against him on our own. 
You get that? This is the enemy of our souls. But because God is my shepherd, I get to sit down in peace at a table with everything I have ever needed. And when God provides for us, he doesn't just provide a little bit. He provides in abundance what we need. So picture sitting across the table from Satan. Because it says, in the presence of my enemies. So I'm sitting across the table from Satan. He's lying to me about everything. I I love this. Heather read this to me from a book called Grace-Based Parenting um, recently. And it says that every child has needs, has spiritual needs, has physical needs, has love needs, right? And it names those needs, and then it says, and Satan fulfills them, all of them, in counterfeit ways. That's what we're fighting against when we're raising kids. Satan is going to work really hard to fulfill your needs, But none of the ways that he can fulfill your needs are the way that you need him to fulfill your needs. All of the ways that Satan fulfills your needs are counterfeit worldly ways that will not last, that will not lead to life. They only lead to death and they only lead to sorrow. Because Satan's idea of success is when you're dead and gone and in hell. God is saying to Satan, look at what I have given them. They are not yours, they're mine. They are mine. Nothing that you could give them will ever satisfy them because look at what I've given them. Look at what they have. It's all there. We have confidence that no one else on earth could give you. You should walk around with your head held high. I remember at Awana recently, uh, Judah came in, and he's like, Dad, it's stuffed animal night. I am not bringing a, I'm, I'm in second grade. I am not bringing a stuffed animal to Awana. This is like child's play, right? I was like, Judah, you be confident enough about that stuffed animal, and you can make anything cool. I mean, you could be the biggest dork in the world, and you can make anything cool, Right? It's true. That's how it is with God saying, Satan, look at what I have given them. Hold your head high and say, I can make this cool because I serve Jesus. Satan, you can't touch me. So let God fight that fight for you. This is how much he loves you, that he is your shepherd and he cannot be stopped. The band is going to come up. The question I have for you is knowing all of that from Psalm 23, who are you going to decide to lean on? Who's going to take you out of the pit? Who's going to be your strength when you're suffering? Who are you depending on for life this morning. Stop trying so hard and rest in the presence of your Savior here. Because anything except Jesus is a counterfeit that Satan will try to fulfill you with. Jesus is our good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So not only 
does He give you all that Psalm 23 just said He gives you. But ultimately, we serve Him and we love Him because He first loved us. And that love drove Jesus to lay down His own life so that His sheep could live. That blows my mind. I'm just a dumb sheep. And yet, he laid down his life for me so that I could live an abundant life. So we have two tables up front, one in the back. If you know Jesus, come and take it. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with him, then make it now. The only abundant life there is is in Jesus Christ to come to him and say, Jesus, I need you to save me because I can't save myself. I know I'm a sinner. I want you to make me a saint. I know I'm going to mess up, but your grace covers me. I know I need you, Jesus, to save me for eternity. So make that decision now. It's going to be a little chaotic in the next moments because people are going to be walking around to these tables, and that's okay. But today is the day of salvation. Don't let things stand in your way anymore. Don't believe Satan's lies anymore. Jesus, we love you and we need you. I pray for every soul in this room that their fulfillment, their provision, their rest would be in you. That they wouldn't strive for anything else. But that all of their rest, all of their strength would be in Jesus. That we can do anything through Christ who strengthens us. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. You say you stumble into hard times. Your heart is hurting, but you don't know why. I'm always right, right here beside you. I'm always ready.
I shall not want. That's my challenge for you this week. Is Jesus everything you want? Is Jesus enough for you? Because anything else is idolatry. But he promises to be enough. And he loves you enough to have given his life for you. And we can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the challenge this week, is to stop believing Satan's lies. Stop chasing the things he has to offer and chase Jesus as your sustenance, as your life, as your strength. So let's sing this last song as a prayer and as a declaration to our God that we will stand with our physical arms and the arms of our hearts as we occupy our streets and as we live, we will stand on the name of Jesus. Can we do that? Amen. Let's sing together. Sing it out. I used to be 